1: Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. Uh, Hello. (laughs) Happy December. It is a Meg and Steph show today. It has been a wild week in the NWSL thanks to the trade window. We tried to hold off as long as we could before recording so we could try to attempt to make sense of it all, knowing that we've really only got half the puzzle. Um, As of me recording this very part right now, the trade window has just closed, and now we are waiting which is an NWSL tradition. Um, plus, we've got U.S. Women's National Team in Australia, which, uh, as we're about to discuss, somehow already feels like a million years ago. But Game 2 was actually this week, somehow. So uh, before uh, we get to the rest of the show, um, as always, to show your support of full-time, plus get all of our women's soccer coverage and everything else The Athletic has to offer, on our site and app, you can subscribe right now at theathletic.com full-time. And while our Black Friday Cyber Monday deal might be over, there is still, as always, a deal for you. It's the best one we have at any given time. And I just wanted to say thank you to the 100-plus of you who subscribed off of the podcast link over the last week. Again, you you pledged your support of women's soccer coverage at The Athletic by subscribing at theathletic.com full-time. All right. I don't want to recap every trade that has happened this week just in the interest of time. But if you do need to catch up before this discussion with Steph, we have been running a live blog for the trade window at The Athletic. And that lives outside the paywall, so it is available for everyone to read. There's a link in the show notes, and I'm sure we will be posting it throughout the day as things happen as well. Here we go with Steph. Let's start with the U.S. Women's National Team in Australia, which already feels like it happened a year ago. (laughs) Because this week has lasted forever. And I keep thinking like, oh, no, that game was on Tuesday. Um, Right. And we did write an entire article about that this week. But the trades have been such a dominating part of this week that it does feel weird to be like, oh, no, those games happened basically this weekend.
2: Sure. I was not sure what today was. I woke up thinking it could be Thursday. It's Friday. We're recording on Friday.
1: Yep. <laughs> Time is so both of us sat through the US Soccer Board of Directors meeting this morning just to go on a quick detour before we go back to the games, but you know, these things are I would not say like the the most like crazy things to sit through ever, right? They're very like Robert's Rules of Order and (laughs) everybody gives their little updates and, like, they're very standard, right? And um, the reason why I think both of us are usually on them is for Kate Markgraf gives a little presentation about, you know, the the national team and sometimes there are tidbits in there. In today's instance, the schedule for 2022 um, was released, but... You know she was like it's 20 months until the world cup it's eight months until world cup qualifiers <laughs> and i was just like i it was like the whole world had just narrowed to these two concepts and i was just like what is time i don't what <laughs> it's yeah, 20 said, months to the world cup she said 20 i was like that's fake
2: immediately i was like that's fake <laughs> it sounds better to be like we're still about two years that makes me feel a lot better than you're right. saying twenty months.
1: Yeah, it's a very different. It's it, there was just something about that there. I was like, oh, right. And then to think, you know, and obviously the the World Cup qualifiers is not really an abstract concept since on this very podcast I spoke with multiple players about how those World Cup qualifiers are going to throw a real wrench into the NWSL season next summer, along with Euros, right, and all all the other World Cup qualifiers that are happening at the same time. But I was just like, that's so much. Faster than I expected <laughs> it to be. I just, I, I, everything just keeps happening. <laughs> <I> <laughs> there know. is no, I know. there is no respite. So, it,
2: look. Do you want to talk about grappling with consciousness <laughs> and the,
1: like perception of time, <laughs> or we can talk about <laughs> we uh, can talk, uh, talk about soccer. Okay. We can we can talk about soccer. Let's talk about the games in Australia because, um, I did find it. A little interesting heading in, and this has always kind of been like, and I, you know, I've been in this same kind of mindset of losses for the U.S. women's national team can at times be more instructive than anything else, right? And mm-hmm. there was kind of this narrative coming in from from a few corners of, you know, they can come in, they can try things, they can they can get players meaningful minutes and maybe a loss is going to be more instructive, but I think that is kind of this holdover of the previous, like, full generation of this U.S. national team, right, where we think about a a France loss at the start of 2019 ahead of the World Cup, right, and how that really was kind of a a wake-up call for the team at a perfect time, whereas this is the very start of a cycle, a whole bunch of new players playing, and they didn't need to lose in order to get valuable insights out of either of these games.
2: No, I I think they learned a whole lot, especially with some of the formation changes that we saw the personnel use, um, especially, you know, in some of the pressure points when dealing with Australia, because even if Australia wasn't quite able to break the United States down, at least 1v1, they gave a lot of data to a lot of players in a lot of positions. I mean, obviously the first one coming to mind is Emily Fox having this incredible task in game two. I was like, oh, he's really trusting her because they expected her to do that thing that she does for Louisville a lot, which was a very deep progression of the ball, carrying it at the same time, you know, being comfortable with leaving that space in behind, which they knew Australia would exploit and trusting the rest of the team to be able to shift so whether that's uh, Andy Sullivan or maybe Emily Sonnet or whoever. It was ran for a, a, or, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. a few times, yeah. Or having a midfielder rotate underneath Emily Fox to to make sure that she wasn't getting her yeah. butt handed to her by Ellie Carpenter or Haley
1: Razzo. I, I was like, oh, he's really trusting them. Right. And I really liked that. Yes. And I think, you know, a couple of things that really stood out, obviously, in one of the press conferences, Vlako and Danofsky saying, like, Emily Fox was the name that he actually used it, but saying, she's already been told that she's coming in a January camp. One mistake in one of these games is not going to define if she gets the next call up, right? There are, mistakes are going to be made, but the trust is still there that this is going to be a development process. And so I think that even just kind of being stated on the mm-hmm. record feels a little bit different in terms of what we have seen where, I mean, I think about kind of Jane Campbell's entry onto this team and having that one sort of shaky first outing and then just kind of disappearing. And and obviously, you know, for someone like Casey Murphy, we wrote a lot about Casey Murphy immediately following the game and for good reason, like a extremely comprehensive performance, right? Mm-hmm. But there are there are going to be, you know, I think about her NWL playoff performance with the North Carolina Courage, right? Like a truly outstanding game, but one mistake was what sent the Washington Spirit through on the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And that has a lot more weight to it within an post postseason. But the question is, is if that same mistake had happened in one of these Australia mm-hmm. games, which it didn't, right? That should not affect Casey Murphy's development as a potential number one goalkeeper for this team over the next cycle or two
2: yeah i i, I do wonder if LACO delivered that same message to casey murphy in particular because that is even more so a position that is like if you make one mistake you're the villain if you perform perfectly then nobody notices yes
1: yeah i mean it, it is You know, I think this is kind of, those were the games that everybody was waiting for, right? Like, I I still get kind of frustrated mentions (laughs) from people being like, I don't understand the victory tour, right, from from post-Olympics, which, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you can't really change it. It was always going to happen. I understand being frustrated with it. But now, you know, I think they made as much as they could from those games in terms of getting some new folks in that were not on the Olympic roster to help fill out spots that had been given up, right? Mm -hmm. So they did what they could with those four games. um, And now the work is going to begin. And I think, you know, we are kind of still, I don't want to say like in a holding pattern because we're not, like the work is definitely going. But now the next thing that we're really waiting for is that January camp roster and waiting to see... Who else gets into the mix? Who's going to return from some of the names that were missing from the Australia trip? And Mm -hmm. then it's just going to be pure competition for spots.
2: I am pretty excited for She Believes, even though, you know, Kate Margraft had mentioned on the board of directors call due to like euros and travel restrictions. It's pretty hard to schedule competitive opponents for that. And I, I was a little disappointed to learn no January friendlies, which sometimes they accompany that January camp. But, you know, just, I guess, with their scheduling, they mentioned they gave all the players an extra week off. um, Just with everything that happened this year, they wanted them to get a little more rest and to feel more, you know, prepared coming into camp, which is, it's great. Um, But, like, after this game, you just like, oh, I want more, I want more, I want to see more. Like, for example, Ashley Hatch, She made a meal out of what she was handed, but she wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah. Amina Macario was supposed to start in this lineup, like in her, in a different position, obviously, but, you know, Blacko adjusted on the fly and was like, okay, let's see what Hatch does in front of goal, functioning more as like a nine. Yeah. And
1: I think she did okay. I mean, I do want to pause and just say her finish on that goal, you know, uh, like (laughs) seconds Mm -hmm. into that first game, like that is not, an easy finish that was extremely composed, and that was when I was just like, okay, yep. Yeah. Like, this is, and, and the Ford pool is just so interesting, and and again, like, this was in our article kind of breaking down, like, who is going to clearly be a part of the the overall pa- p- plans, who needs more time to, you know, in terms of evaluation, but, you know, when you think about Hatch, Weaver, and then Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman potentially being in the mix, Katerina Macario as a potential number nine, right? But also being able to play multiple roles. Like, there's so many names in the mix. Bethany Balser, right? Like, the forward pool is just. It's always been one of the more absurd depth. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, yeah. we talk about the deep end of a pool being six feet deep. The forward pool for the national team is like 27 feet deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just you know, it's gonna it's gonna really be a matter of I think taking a bigger look at NW Cell form playing a role too, right? Like players are really gonna have to use every possible avenue to distinguish themselves in this pool. Well, I look at
2: the passing chart, because we got the Y Scouts from these two games and the like the the positional and passing from game one to game two, they look pretty different in the first game if I'm just looking at the forward line on average like Ashley Hatch is like kind of the tip of the spear here and then we've got you know Lynn Williams on the left and Mitch Purse on the right but it makes sense to me because in that first game for a while especially the center backs remember they look so shaky and so you know whether it was Hatch or it was Rose Lavelle a lot trying to kind of bully them into making another mistake which I wish we had done a lot more of honestly you know it kind of makes sense to me that this is a more like Ashley Hatch forward uh, formation. And then you look at the second game, the passing chart, Hatch is actually much more withdrawn. And the tip of the spear is the left side of the field um, through Lynn Williams. And you've got like Midge Purse on the right, who is also a little bit, not quite as advanced, but obviously up there. Like It looks like they're trying to work a lot more to their left side of the field. If you look at the passing lanes, everything is set up to kind of channel along that left side, which makes sense with the eye test, right? We saw a lot from Emily Fox and midfielders and and working there. And so, you know, you can kind of tell that they're working on these different avenues of trying to be dangerous in different areas with different players. And that's really exciting to me as a fan for players, (laughs) I don't know how exciting, it, probably it's exciting for them because they have that thing where they're like not like us normies <laughs> when it comes to competition and pressure.
1: Yeah. I mean, no. it, it was a fun,
2: exciting time.
1: Yeah, I did notice from the reports that we were looking at as we were writing that it was a much more down the middle approach in game one, but also I think that stemmed from kind of the overall lack of possession, right? Like it was it was not necessarily a a super well connected game for the national team in in for the US in the first game. So the fact that they were able to make more use of the wings in game 2, but also I did everything was happening along that left side because you would get Emily Fox come up and then Carpenter and Razo coming back and then you would get <laughs> so it was just everything was kind of coming along that side. Yeah. And Lynn Williams was also I think a big, you know again I think we've we've spoken a lot about Lynn Williams over the entire like, you know, as she pushed to be on that Olympic roster. But one of the big things that she contributes also is pressure on the ball. And again, that was another key part of that wing being successful is that Emily Fox is able to do what she does positionally because Lynn Williams is providing coverage from the front.
2: Yeah, the other thing I kind of noticed and wanted to point out, and then if you want to move on, we can, is the difference between the midfields and the two games. So if you look at the, the passing chart from the first game, Annie Sullivan's really cut off. Like the majority of her passing is back dealing with the center backs. She's completely isolated there. They asked Rose Lavelle in both these games to push higher into the forward line, get numbers up. But Sullivan's completely cut off from Rose Lavelle on that right side of the field. Um, she's cut off from Haran. Haran is a center, and Haran kind of had to grow into that game until the end, at least on the ball. Um, but then you move into the second game, and Sullivan is a in a slightly more advanced position, and her passing connections, like she's much more connected up with Rose and Lindsay Haran, um, and she's not just like, and it takes advantage more of her ability to distribute. Maybe not necessarily the longer balls where Andy Sullivan, like her passing range is pretty good. And the Spirit, I think, have made a note that, you know, you have someone like that in midfield who can hit the mid to long range ball and quickly play people in, which is something the Spirit obviously can use between like Hatch and Rodman. But that's something that the United States was trying to do a lot. And so I don't necessarily know that they, they got to get that element out of her, but the midfields are much better and there's a lot more ability for them to progress the ball to the forwards as opposed to in the first game where they were kind of like Lindsay Horan was really the sole focus. And if she wasn't on it, then
0: everybody yeah. else was not on it. Right. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I, I will be
1: curious to see what happens when Sam Mewis returns and what that means for this midfield, because, again, I do think that it is kind of a weird situation where if you are going to play three midfielders, you know, it's either, again, or it's also theoretically coming back, although right at the moment I I feel pretty content in terms of letting Andy Sullivan just continue to grow into that role. Um, mm-hmm. But then you have kind of Rose Lavelle as a lock. And then the question is, Lindsey Horan or Sam Mewis. And so, you know, I think we're still kind of oddly stuck in the same weird situation of <laughs> four, four midfielders, three spots, and what, what gives? And what do you get from the various combinations that you might toss onto the field?
2: Uh hmm Uh hmm I don't know, maybe Vlatko will hit us with some kind of like four, two, three, one in the future that is well, that kind of still presents the same problem because in the wingers you're probably still gonna want like a Lin and a Midge or like a Mal or something like that. So yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um what a problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is the US women's national team endless conundrum of even as the team changes over, you still are dealing with Too many good players. I mean, I
2: really think the locks are Haran and Lavelle, and then maybe Makario is trying to force her way in, but because her versatility is she can, like, play the nine, that's fine. Um, And the question being maybe Sam, Andy, Sam, Andy.
1: Yep. I guess we'll we'll find out. But probably not until February. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) I mean, that will be kind of the more instructive part. All right, speaking of Sam Mewis... That's a good segue into the madness that has been the NWCL trade window. Um, obviously, the expansion draft is forcing hands. I don't know if we want to go trade by trade or kind of overall impressions of some of the chaos so far. I should start us off with a disclaimer that we are recording right before the trade deadline itself is about to hit. So... Not all of these things have been announced, I'm sure. I also think that, you know, we were a little a little um, ambitious in being like, yeah, we'll just run a live blog through Friday and <laughs> everything will... It, I don't think everything is going to get announced by any stretch of the imagination either. So um, I think we are trying to talk about things without having a complete picture by, <laughs> like... <laughs> Basically assume everything is in flux until the expansion draft itself. Because I also kind of wonder if some of these things are going to essentially get put on hold until the expansion draft actually hits and then get executed during the expansion draft.
2: Right. The window closing doesn't mean the chaos is over. Yeah. It it just means wait for the next period of chaos. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the college draft alone, Yeah, like during so, the draft, right. you know, we always get those like they've called a timeout and they're like, are they just being dicks about it to use full <laughs> time yeah. or are like and then we all look over to the tables and we'll see like Laura Harvey on our phone. We're like, oh, OK,
1: I will say I am shocked that Laura Harvey has very, very minimal presence so far in this trade window. I feel like I don't know. I'm a little surprised by that.
2: Yeah, maybe. Well, She's too you busy the, listening to
1: Adele. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just like a healthy cry so with Adele <laughs> playing. And yeah, um, I don't know. I look at the Oall Reigns team from this past season and I'm like, okay, you've got some older players, but you've got some good pieces. Maybe there's they're like, really focusing on the college
1: they're 17 midfielders.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think just Fishlock is going to retire either. <laughs> Seems like she's having fun out there. Like, okay, maybe you need to think about Megan Rapinoe's presence, but, like, I don't I don't see that they're having to do a huge overhaul season-to-season, season unlike some other clubs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I think, you know, now O.L. Reigns' most pressing need is replacing Les Omer as a goal-scoring presence mm. because she was truly, <laughs> like, banging in goals and, like, world-class ones for them left and right, right? Like... The rain were really built with all of the kind of short-term transfers from Lyon. I mean, I guess Mm -hmm. the other question too is, will Lyon now kind of maybe send another set of players over Mm -hmm. potentially, right? Um, But that team was really built to make a run at the playoffs. And so you are going to lose a few key pieces um, from the rain that, you know, it's just not really clear yet on how the team is planning on addressing those losses
2: you know what would be really funny to me um i think the rumor or is it confirmed that lindsey Heran to leon yep. next year yep um and then they promptly loan her to the rain <laughs> she comes back and plays against the thorns that
1: would be the most epic troll job on the face of the planet so right. we can only hope for that one <laughs> I think that, she that, that happened, would be one of the spiciest things to
2: ever happen in the end of this. Right. I don't think that that's a thing that could really happen against her will, but I I also kind of imagine her officially coming back and like guys I'm really sorry. I couldn't do anything about it. They told me to come here so here I am. I don't want to score on Portland, but I have to cuz it's my job.
1: <laughs> oh, that would be that would be something, something. All right. Let's, uh, I, I'm guessing that you want to head in the direction of the Chicago Red Stars, which right. I think it's- has got to be one of the biggest conversations of this trade window in terms of, I mean, right. I definitely reference Arrested Developments. <laughs> They're having a fire sale when it comes to the Red Stars.
2: Right. Uh, it's expansion draft immunity, Michael. What could it cost? $12? Yeah. There, okay, so let's just list it out. Um, Chicago wanted full immunity from the expansion because other teams have gotten partial immunity from one or one of the teams. Mm-hmm. But Chicago is like, no, no, no. no. We want to control our controllables, I guess. Um, and we'll also get into maybe another factor at the end. But so they uh, sent off Sarah Gordon and Julie Ertz to Angel City. And then they sent Katie Johnson, Mackenzie Doniak, and Kelsey Turnbow to San Diego Wave for immunity. And then kind of separately, not related to immunity, they sent Nikki Stanton to OL Rain, which was uh per their release to kind of refil- fulfill a player request or Nikki's like, I want to go home to Washington. And that makes sense. Chicago wasn't really using Nikki Stanton. She was, she was, I don't I don't want to even say she was quite a depth player for them. They kind of like look to her when they like when I think about the championship, they're like Nikki Stanton's coming in, like, oh, the injuries really. Yeah, added up with with complete respect to Nikki Stanton, who is by all accounts a very nice person. Yeah, um, and I'm happy she gets to go home. She just was not playing a role in that team. It yeah, was she wasn't. So why not? Way. Why not go somewhere where she yep. can get some minutes? Yep. So now uh, Chicago has immunity. Angel City and San Diego, um, they also sent an international slot for two years to Angel City, and but they got back some allocation money from San Diego at least.
1: I will say one of the things that I do want to start, at, like there's a lot to unpack here. And there's also obviously all of the stuff that is happening in Chicago right at mm-hmm. the moment, too, that needs to get brought into this mix. What I have found so fascinating about the overall landscape of N W cell trades is how allocation money has become wildly inflated. Right. You look at the Abby Dahl Kemper trade to San Diego Wave and there's so much money on the table there and then you look at what Chicago has done with a player like Julie Ertz Mm -hmm. and the fact that that is simply for protection and there's no allocation money involved for a a national team player where again the the allocation, NWSL allocation money, I we need new terms in this stupid, stupid league. But the allocation money has been so inflated. And then to not see allocation money come back, specifically in the case of arts, I find fascinating.
2: Yes. they. So Jeff Kasuf at Equalizer confirmed that San Diego sent 25000 in allocation money to Chicago. And that's how much they got out of that deal. And so, I mean, look, they still have players like Mal Pugh, Casey Kruger, Tierna Davidson. I think that's a huge, like, yep. that's a huge player that you want to build your yep. defensive core around. Uh, Listen, Air is getting better <laughs> day by day. <laughs> so it, it's not like the Air in her completely... very nice winter coat that we saw a lot of in Louisville. God, I was so jealous of that overcoat. I wanted to ask her where she got it, but I don't know if I could pull it off. Anyway, <laughs> yes, these are huge pieces though. Like the Turbo one, I think that's big. Sarah Gordon is a huge defender. Ertz, I don't think that's it's that big a deal just in terms of Chicago because they didn't really have her this season anyway,
1: and they still yep. made it to the championship. Yep. I, th- I think, Julie. Yeah, the, yeah, the thing that, you know, I, I, I've seen a few tweets being like people are way overpaying for protection from this expansion draft. I both agree and also wildly disagree because teams have spent four or five years in some cases trying to build the core of a roster and if you can control on what you're giving up rather than allowing Angel City or San Diego to just rummage their dirty little fingers <laughs> through the core of your team <gasps> to some to some teams that's a very valuable trade off and i get like I, I fundamentally understand that because it means that you are able to decide what the line is rather than just praying okay or that it also means that you you're having conversations with some of your players of do you want to go here right like sarah gordon you know like how do we both do right by the players that maybe want to leave but also do right by the players that want to stay and i don't know if that's happening but i think Actually trading your way out of the expansion draft is the only possible mechanism to actually at least attempting to do that.
2: Right. it It's the one thing that gives players some agency here. And I think people need to be placed Chicago in the context of we alluded to it, right, with the Rory Dames abuse allegations and players maybe seeing now as a time per Chicago's release, multiple of these moves were player requests. So they said Katie Johnson and Mackenzie Doniak going home to Southern California per their wishes. Um, Sarah Gordon sought the move for personal reasons. Um, Nikki Stanton, as we said, w- wanted to go back home. So if Chicago has all these players who are like, I want to leave, maybe it's not because I'm not happy here, but I could be happier elsewhere, you know, the a good club understands that you have to take a holistic view of a player and you know one of the things I'll never forget is back in the Boston Breakers days we had McCall Zerboni and then we traded her and people like what are you doing and Matt Beard said to me more or less like she wasn't happy here and so you know you're not going to get the best out of a player who's not happy it's like what what could I do she wasn't happy here You know, I could have kept her here. We could have said, you know, made her honor the terms of her contract. But better for everyone for the player to go where she wants to go, where they want to go. And so I think if you're Chicago and you see all these players you want to leave for whatever reason, and you – so you're like, okay, they want out anyway, and there's an expansion draft coming,
1: well. Yeah, like – Again, it, it it does make sense to me and the the way that this particular expansion draft is going to work too where it's you can only protect 9 players. It's yeah. a lot a lot tougher to navigate. And so I I do think it's interesting, you know, Jeff Kasuf just reported earlier today that Washington Spirit are, are maybe considering some sort of trade with Angel City where they get <laughs> not even just Uh, Immunity from one team, but partial immunity from one team, where it's like you can't pick any of our US national team players, but you can pick your way through the rest of the roster, which is an even weirder potential breakdown that I don't know if anyone had ever really considered. Right. Right. So we are seeing some weird maneuvering to get out ahead of this. So. and the the like you said the restrictions
2: are pretty tight this time i think in previous ones you could protect two allocated players yep. but this and one you can only one. protect one us it does not count canadian everybody else is free game so you get to protect one united states federation player that's probably the term we can use instead of allocated right um and then good luck everybody
1: else <laughs> yeah it's just a really I don't know. Again, like it, it, it is um, very interesting. Me going through this exercise before the collective bargaining agreement is also agreed to. Mm-hmm. I do wonder how much of this will perhaps change um, when that CBA is negotiated, and maybe there will be a little bit more adjustment for mm-hmm. players to feel a little bit more. In, like I don't think the teams feel in control, and I can only imagine how some of the players feel. In terms of it, though, I will say I it's probably not the worst feeling in the world to go to Angel City or San Diego in an expansion draft.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, I mean, like we said, some of them are like, I'm going home to SoCal. That's yeah. great.
1: Yep. Um, All right. Let's let's dig into the big one that I reported yesterday <laughs> with full understanding that. Even my own knowledge of this is slightly limited. I do know a few other things that are not in a place where they can be reported yet that are kind of, I'm going to dance around. <laughs> They're informing how I'm approaching this, but it does appear that Allie Krieger and Ashlyn Harris are on the move from Orlando Pride to Gotham. Um, there's also been a report, too, that Marta is heading back to Brazil, potentially, um, So I think we are maybe also kind of seeing the end of the Orlando Pride as we have known them for a while. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great time on both sides.
2: So the Wilf family kind of took over. They brought in the Devos family as well as in Betsy.
1: Yeah, let's detour Um, there for a second because I had somehow missed this. And then um, our editor, Brooks, who has been on the show <laughs> Helpfully, you know, quickly Googled and sent us the link. But that was definitely eye-opening to me. And I also I I feel like it did go pretty under the radar in terms yeah. of NWCL. I mean, it was clearly reported and it was reported back in July as the sale was going through. But I do think that the you know the wolf Family over Amanda Duffy out as EVP of the Pride. They just hired a new person, Jared Dillon, for running the business operations, right? And so it is going to be very interesting because, I mean, we can, we can kind of set aside Amanda Duffy's legacy within the league, but there was at least one person at kind of a higher level who has been through the world of NWSL, and now we have a lot of new voices coming in that are coming from a more NFL type background, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I like. I think we can see the reset happening, but also I'm going to be very curious to watch it happen because, you know, right at the moment, it's really just kind of like Ian Fleming that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, kind of holding the line from an NWL point of view, and um, Amanda Cromwell incoming as new head coach, so. Yet, though that is yet to be officially announced, um, it is going to be a weird process to watch. I think,
2: I think everybody is looking at all these changes. As happens when there's any kind of takeover, not just in soccer, any kind of acquisition, that's what happens. You they do an evaluation, and there's usually some kind of reorg, and the pride of historically always been a team that has underdelivered. You know, on paper, you're like Marta, Alex Morgan, you know, all these all these great names. And then, you know, and some of that is down to the coaching, obviously. Uh, but I think, you know, during a takeover, you see an asset that's underperforming like that. And you're like, okay, I'm just gonna wipe the slate clean here. And on the other side, everyone's like, okay, it's a good time for me to get out. You know, haven't been happy here or want to go somewhere that wins more, whatever the reason is. I want to retire. I want to go back to Brazil. Etc. 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 I think. Yeah. I. I don't know. Alex Morgan to LA. <laughs> that is not something that I know. I, I was saying that in jest. I want people to understand that
1: that was a vibes comment, not a hint. <laughs> vibes only right at the moment. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think that it will be. You know. I think Orlando's kind of going through their own weird version of what Chicago is going through, right? And um, what I do think overall from a across the NWSL viewpoint that I think is really interesting to kind of keep an eye on is it feels like we get at least one, if not two of these every season where you see kind of like a weird migration out, right? And it's it's really Orlando's first time doing this, but I mean, I think about Washington Spirit post-2015 championship, right? Like, yeah, we've gotten a few of these, and I think that as an overall concept within the NW cell is a little troubling. Um, Just in terms of it feels like it shouldn't always require a clean sweep (laughs) to maybe rebuild. Hmm.
2: I think some of that is just a function of the league being baby. Yeah. Like Being young. So you still like you can't have teams that have like some kind of core leadership in place for eight or nine years that see the team through some changes or whatever like you know some veteran player that that the, is deeply beloved by the city that has always been there you know that's yeah. pretty rare um also just the nature of the contracts in this league and the money and everything yeah, so you can't term, have yeah. that either right yep. it used to be one plus ones um and that was like the best you could do where you get signed for one year with an option for one yep. and now we're seeing longer term contracts just now starting to enter the conversation so I would love to see some teams grow into that because I think that also speaks to a team that's truly entrenched in the community. If you have a player like that, it means there's like a community connection and kind of an understanding there. It's, it's all part of the growth. I know people, especially after this season, everyone wants change and it needs to happen. And it can happen as fast as we want it to in some ways. And in some other ways, you're fighting against a lot of big, things like entrenched misogyny in, you know, American yes. culture, not just the sports landscape. So yep. I would, I would want people to be like, all right, fast change can happen in areas where we have more control and in areas where we have less control, maybe we need to take a broader view.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a good example of that even is Kansas City Current, right? Where you come into the league, they're kind of in a tough spot, they're inheriting a roster that they didn't have any control over, and then to see, you know, if you want to talk about building the plane as <laughs> you're flying it, the Kansas City is a perfect example of it, but in terms of not just roster, but facilities, right? Uh-huh. Um, there is a way to aggressively make things better, and so... I think Kansas City does provide a pretty good model mm-hmm. for it, but it, it takes significant resources too.
2: Like $15 million? Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so build a practice facility? But I think also, you know, I think what we have seen from at least a, a roster point of view in this league is that you can have an immediate turnaround on a team. And part of that, to your point, is the fact that, you know, ro- um, contracts traditionally in this league have been much shorter Um, But you can put together a team that can immediately compete for a postseason spot, if not championship. I mean, I remember talking to Steve Baldwin at the start of the year and how he was just absolutely gunning for a a championship. Well, let's let's talk about the flip side of
2: that, which is that, okay, you can do that but who has to do that a competent GM with a scouting team yep. and how many NWSL teams have a GM who's a completely focused on the women's side and is not doing double duty between men and women, which, you know, we deeply suspect, I think a lot of us based on past history, if you have that kind of GM, that means like 80% men, 20% women in terms of their focus. And then second is a good GM. <laughs> um And then third has the staff and the resources to actually do the scouting, which is why I really want to see Angel City do well, because they hired Kim McCauley as their like director of scouting and analysis and everything. And I want to see a position like that, not to put any pressure on Kim, regardless of how Angel City does. I actually like from talking to her and she's like, yeah, I just created 30 new categories for whatever, evaluating players, probably an exaggeration, but that's kind of the gist. I want to see a position like that pay off in women's soccer.
1: And force um, other teams to adopt it.
2: And force other teams to adopt it and create more jobs in that area and expand the role of data science in women's soccer. You know, um, yeah. I would I would love to see that. Once again, not to put pressure on Kim, because there's more to just a, a data scout right. and, uh, making decisions around players and how they play and everything. So. But yeah, if they draft well and other people see that and they're like, oh, I don't just have to go off vibes and like players sending me a 10 minute, you know, highlight reel. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Just in terms of, you know, I I know that I talked about Laura Harvey being a little quiet in this trade window. I'm a little surprised at how quiet Portland has been um, in terms of their approach to this. Obviously, you know, if we want to talk about new general manager, Karina LeBlanc, new mm-hmm. head coach, uh, Rian Wilkinson, who just had their little introductory press conference that was also essentially a Canadian comedy hour <laughs> in terms of like the odd couple of <laughs> Rian, who is like a very quiet, smart, my parents are English professors type, and Karina, who is Karina. <laughs> I just kept being like, those vibes are weird. <laughs> <laughs> but amazing I like I amazing it, yeah. for comedy but they like that is a pretty tall task ahead of them in terms of how to get that the core of that roster through an expansion draft and i have been a little surprised that right. there have not been some moose out of portland
2: the bar for what the fans will consider success in portland is different from the bar maybe in kansas city Yes. Which is fair, which is fair, right? If you have a team with a history of excellence and winning, it's fair for your fans to be like, we would like that to continue. Thank you. We've seen you're <laughs> capable of doing it, so please keep doing it. Right.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's going to be... I don't. I just... Every time I think about the expansion draft, I'm just like, I really don't even know what to expect. Also, just because we've never gotten one with two teams before, right? Like the one for, for Louisville felt so silly last time around because <laughs> they had their list and it was just someone reading from a list the entire time. And it's just like, this time, though, it really is. Yeah, what makes it
2: exciting is I partially there's two teams picking. Yep. So I wonder if like maybe San Diego picks someone that Angel City had their sights on or vice versa. Right. Not necessarily. I don't think that there's a huge clash happening there just because my feeling is it's two different Teams who have their own personal, like organizational
1: goals on and off field, but that would be funny (laughs) and chaotic. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, we won't, you know, it's not going to be like the full number of picks, but still, I think, you know, there's probably going to be like enough for an hour on TV. Yeah.
2: Well, what would be really funny is if every team somehow managed to trade for some level of immunity so that. Angel
1: City and San Diego each are only making like three picks. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I have kind of thought like, are we going to get to that point? But then the trade deadline ended up coming up so fast. I was like, I guess not. Like there's still going to be at least, you know, like half the teams that are going to go through this process. But yeah, just truly. At one point, I was like, are we just going to get to the point where we just don't have an expansion draft? And would I be okay with that? Actually, I think yes.
2: Yeah, because like you pointed out earlier, the way Chicago did things kind of takes player requests and gives them a little more a little more agency in the matter. Although I would certainly hope that prior to this, once they finalize their list before the draft, somebody is communicating to a player that they want, not in a player tampering way, in a yeah. league approved way, that like, hey, this is something that could happen to you um so you know and and if so here's all our plans like talk to this person and they'll help you move logistically i would hate to have another like amy rodriguez where it's like i gotta yank my kids out of school in the middle of the
1: semester and 24 hours later
2: i'm playing against my old team and blah blah blah
1: yeah yeah there's definitely some work to be done in terms of how some of the stuff can get executed but I do think the tampering rules as they exist right now <laughs> make it really difficult. So I think there's maybe some room for bringing the tampering rules down that would allow for for more player input. But also, again, I think CBA might help on mm-hmm. some of that fronts. But yeah, the tampering rule is just going to, I think, haunt the sleeve <laughs> forever <laughs> as it stands. Um, all right. Well, we've done U.S. Women's National Team. We've done NW Soul Trades, at least the ones that we know about so far I feel like Mm -hmm. there's probably like another 10 just waiting to be announced um is there anything else that we want to talk about uh I had therapy today
2: (laughs) and I talked about work culture and particularly our work culture being in this space in women's soccer and having so few roles um that are full-time paid with benefits for women's soccer coverage only and how that creates enormous like pressure and guilt. Mm-hmm. But
1: we we should probably say that for another full episode because my God. I think it would be a really interesting round table. I will say I had my performance review this week, and my only major feedback that I got beyond like good job was our 2022 goal is to get Meg to take more time off. <laughs> yeah. Did talk about that. Did talk about that and how uh,
2: due to s- some of the nature of our jobs and the economy around women's soccer jobs, I feel very unsafe when I'm not working. Yeah. That's that's a pretty deep thing to drop right at the end of a podcast, and we'll let people mull over that uh, and, and the ways they want to integrate that into their own work-life balance. But, you know.
1: Just remember, still- work-life balance is good. Um, also, as someone who has been sick basically for a number of days and had the worst stomach virus of my adult life, which I then proceeded to give to my wife, so it's been a really fun time. It forced me to take time off because I was dying. Um, But yeah, doing that at the the very start of the trade window did not feel great to me. Yeah, and you didn't even take enough time off because the day after everything vacated your body
2: through one entrance or another, you were logging on. I was like, bro, you don't look good. Like, You look like a black and white photo because there was no... yeah. Just... Well, there was a U.S. national team game at 4 a.m. that day. I know. And you just looked like someone had taken you out of the freezer at the last minute to defrost you.
1: I was the one on Pushing Daisies before. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a great place to end it. I promise we we're we're fun and healthy adults. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Steph, for another great, great discussion about women's soccer and also, you know, general life things. Um, yeah, we will, I'm sure, be back. I think the tentative plan is for both of us to go to L.A. for uh, drafts. I think I'm expansion draft only and um, it depends, I think, on if the variant perhaps throws a wrench in traveling uh, for us from a company point of view, from a personal safety point of view, or from the NWSL itself <laughs> point of view. Um, so stay tuned on that front. But I will I do want to say our general plan is to do... Um, we have the capability of doing live rooms um, in the athletic app now, and I think we will be holding one of those immediately following the expansion draft. So... Just keep that in mind um, for, honestly, probably what pre- will prove to be a very chaotic conversation. Um, so start thinking of things now for <laughs> for that. Yeah, just a place to come put all your feelings immediately yeah. afterwards. Yeah, I mean, expansion drafts, um, as as many people within the NWL have told me, are painful for everyone. So it might be a little bit of like a weird morning circle slash, you know, big excitement for California teams. So... We'll see how it goes but all right Steph. thank you all right thank you for listening <laughs> we got into some weird territory there at the end as always but um we will be back i'm sure at some point uh next week leading into this expansion draft and and everything else that we've got going so we might actually just wait on the podcast until the expansion draft lists are released um i'll probably make that call and let everyone know on twitter uh how we're waiting for it to to play out but i think that is going to be the major story of next week though you know in this league you never really know what's going to happen so we're going to find out together as always all right for all things full-time you can visit fulltimepod.com there are links for all of the major podcast platforms in one spot plus more info Again, subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. My name is Meg. You've been listening to Full-Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at it's Meg itsmeglinehan. My work is at The Athletic. Full-Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. I'm Meg. Thank you for listening.